Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we discuss two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I'm here with my good friend, Joe Hilliard. And David, how often have we been able to say there's an award-winning filmmaker as our guest? Very rarely. Look over your shoulder right there up on the wall. There it is. Ooh, love it. It's Savannah Hilliard. Hi there. I'm Savannah Hilliard. My dad is Joe Hilliard. Mm. (laughs) A little nepotism here? Uh, I wouldn't lead with that. (laughs) Uh, But when you found out we were doing Boy and the Hair in one of the two films Mm -hmm. that we'll be discussing today, you were very excited to get involved. Oh, yeah. I was like, I need to be on that episode. I am a Miyazaki stan. We're excited to have you with us. I'm glad you're here because I I am not. I am glad to be here. (laughs) All right. So before we get started, let's get some beer in our glasses as we normally do. From Evil Twin Brewing, who we are already a member of our five timers club this is a beer that i found in new Braunfels. it is a hundred percent spelt lager that got my eye david because we've never done that on the show before i don't know that we've done any beer with spelt in its grain bill i i can't think of any spelt being an ancient whole grain sometimes used for specialty beer making this is evil twin brewings greenhouse experimental lager 100% wheat beers, but this one being spelt, that's all it says about it. All right. Well, I'm excited to try it out. I mean, certainly we've had some interesting beers from Evil Twin over the years, right? That They were the uh, the brewers behind our uh, the, the big cash money beer, whatever. The, the one that actually incorporated big money, ass money into it. Big ass money. Yeah, yeah that, that's one of the standout beers, uh, if, if only in concept alone. So I'm excited to try this, which seems a little less ostentatious when it comes to the actual uh, recipe but nonetheless I, I love a good lager joe so this i'm is excited five percent david floral bright with subtle notes of biscuits evil twins website tells me very nice it looks very light in color when you pour it so the spelt i was wondering if it was maybe going to be a darker grain but no it's it's kind of a nice light yellow i would compare it to like you know a typical lager a pilsner yeah Lovely carbonation, a lot of it too. All right. Well, I'm going to get some in my glass. You getting anything on the aroma? It smells spelty. (laughs) I don't know what that means. Lager. And I'm going to guess maybe some kind of more noble hops. It doesn't say what hops they use, does it? Nor does it on the website. Okay. Well, that's, hey, we'll we'll, we'll see how the flavor goes, but I think this will be a nice, light way to get us going. As we talk about a film that I don't know how light we're going to feel it is. Um, You know, Miyazaki is a filmmaker who's kind of known for weaving some pretty deep and interesting themes into films that may on the surface, or at least, you know, from first glance, seem like they're made for kids, mm-hmm. right? I mean, these are family-friendly, approachable kinds of uh, animated films. But mm-hmm. uh, anyhow, this is a 2023 release, a film that we probably didn't think was coming, right? Because th- this no. is a guy who had announced his retirement maybe a couple times already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, uh, The Wind Rises, his 2013 release, was right. supposed to be Miyazaki's final film, right. which it did touch upon a lot of themes that were kind of farewell to what he had been doing, but yeah. came out of a 10-year hiatus to make this one. You can't keep a good filmmaker down is what it comes down to. It's our first Miyazaki film to ever do Wow, on the show. I'm glad we're finally getting to it. I I feel like we've discussed maybe doing Spirited Away at some point, but it's just not quite gotten there. So I'm excited that this is finally it. Um, And what an occasion, uh, because it is burning up the box office globally right now. It's at the top spot. So I think exciting stuff. You know, a lot of familiar themes here. The basic story being that we have a young boy, Mahito, during World War II, uh, finds himself 
where his town um, ha- has had this terrible disaster, this tragedy. Um, hospital burns down, killing his mother in the process. This all happens very quickly in the opening of the film. Um, and we're told through voiceover narration that just about, what, what was it, a year later, his mm-hmm. uh, father decides to move with him sort of outside the city of Tokyo to a more rural place where his father's business, which apparently is mm-hmm. is creating aircraft yep. for the war, yeah. uh, is going to be sort of going on there and it'll kind of get them out of the city and maybe a little bit out of uh, some of the memories of, of that tragic event. Uh, they end up going there and also meeting with Mahito's <laughs> aunt? aunt, who is now his mother. And I, and I, we, we can certainly talk about this. I don't want to get too bogged down in, in just the summary of the details. But is introduced to this woman who says she's met him before. She's going to be his new mother, essentially. Mm-hmm. She is pregnant with child. So dad's paid a visit there at some point yeah. <laughs> um, before the, the whole family arrives. And uh, they kind of settle in. There's, you know, this lovely estate that they're living at. It has this strange property kind of nestled in the back of the woods. It's this sort of rundown tower that Mojito is basically told to stay away from. Then more and more information kind of drips out as it goes on. And eventually it kind of becomes this portal to this alternate dimension that he experiences that may allow him to reconnect with his mother, at least uh, as the heron promises. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I feel like if I go into much more detail, then I'm just going to start kind of elaborating too much. But basically what we have is kind of a an Alice in Wonderland, a uh, Wizard of Oz, a, a story of a young person coming of age, finding themselves in this parallel but alternate dimension that or allows maybe them, more than one right yeah. right that allows them to work through issues right. that they're having in their real earthly dimension mm-hmm. did i capture it all right i uh, think you did I, okay i don't think you should even go into more depth i mean this is a movie that screams i'll say it to be seen mm-hmm. because yeah. the visual just the visuals forget the story for a moment the visuals in this film savannah and i hung out all day yesterday including watching kiki's delivery service mm-hmm. just let's throw one on while in the background mm-hmm. while we're here put in our tree together because it's been a while since i've seen a miyazaki film okay and i've seen the, the stars of his Owa, spirited away mm-hmm. your favorite savannah uh howl's moving castle howl's moving castle i think we saw that in the theater yeah we saw it in theater the 2022 ghibli fest so I, i'm aware and i know uh-huh. that it's all hand-drawn as opposed to a lot of the computer generated effects that we see in a lot of american releases but my god seeing something for the first time mm-hmm. on the big screen with these stunning visuals, and I've got a list of, you know, the the boy and the hair, and the heron is one of the stars of the film, <laughs> yeah. voiced unrecognizably yeah. by Robert Pattinson. That's that, insane. That really took me looking at the credits at the end. Like, I, I kind of knew going into it that he did a voice in it, mm-hmm. but I was not picking him out of anything. And then to see that he was the gray heron's voice, right. I was flabbergasted. Because we did decide, just, you know, full disclosure, folks, we watched the, the English dub. Yeah. Of which we, the film, which both are available in our market. We could mm-hmm. watch the Japanese voice with subtitles, but yeah. uh, we decided to go dub because that's that's how it's being released. I mean, a star-studded cast. Right. Well, there you go. All of the birds in the film, there are other birds, parakeets, mm-hmm. and they become cartoonish. But when they are drawn photorealistic, <laughs> including the pelicans... It's just gorgeous oh imagery. Um, there is a scene where he is overrun with frogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh! Which was scary. As, it, as and they're awesome. what was it? Join us. Where they, they join us. Join, join us. us. Yeah. Join. And then um, 
he loses his mother in the fire that you alluded to, David, and all of those fire scenes yeah. with these like smeared as he's running through the city. It's all smeared with like maybe ash. Very or impressionistic kind of. Uh, very, look. very yeah. cool. That specific fire look when it's reflecting onto Mahito's face. Yeah. I have never seen that. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like that. It looked like it was glowing. It looked like it was real. I've never seen that in a Miyazaki film. Do you, re- do you remember the release date of Kiki's Delivery Service by any it chance? It was 1989. Okay. The oh my strides. And I said... Unrecognizable. There's computers used, right? No, nope, 100% hand-drawn. It's like, how did they... But it looks so rich and so deep and so full. So from a visual standpoint, I have a, my list is a little bit longer. Go see this movie. I want to touch upon the direct Japanese translation of the title is how do you live? Mm-hmm. It's not the boy and the heron. The boy and the heron is merely a American sure. or North American translated version. But I think how do you live is just the more appropriate title. I mean, I just feel it, it touches upon themes of existentialism, of death. What do you do when you are dying? Right. Who will succeed you? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think you're right. And I think, you know, at least as I understand it, the reason like he there is that moment in the film where he finds that book that his mother had uh, r- written, right. uh, you know, uh, a message to him mm-hmm. given to him when he was very young for him to read later and saying, you know, to grown up uh, Mojito from mm-hmm. your mother. And it's it's the book. How do you live? Which is. Apparently a very famous Japanese sort of YA novel. It's a, it's, you know, a novel that has been popular among young people since it was published in the early part of the 20th century. It was a big novel for Miyazaki mm-hmm. himself. So that's why he includes it. And I think this film is like his attempt to sort of work through something like that, you know, like this coming of age story. Like, what does life mean? How do I find my place in the world? Who am I? All those kind of questions all- like you're, you're describing Savannah. It's a movie that implores you to do some research because and i'll get into this but it is very rich and thick certainly at the end when he's hopping through or has access to these parallel universes and i learned that it's highly biographical his mother died at a young age his father took up with the sister of his dead wife which is a japanese custom in some areas which like uh what was the movie we recently talked about uh, uh, killers of the flower moon where the the inheritance rights go through the female sometimes and knowing that that's the case it was i want i definitely want to see this movie again because i didn't catch everything i mean it's so thick and rich that i didn't catch some of the existential things at the end which are very existential yeah and very supernatural with the grand uncle voiced by mark hamill giving him the opportunity to run the universe basically Mm -hmm. the universe that the grand uncle created by stacking blocks and it happens every three days you have to restack the blocks and (laughs) what does that mean and jesus rose on the third day and there's i mean there's all kind of i mean we could go on and on and on you're right joe he packs a lot in but but i think at a base level and i think this is a film you can enjoy without getting too bogged down in the details i do want to get bogged down in the details but i think as a lay audience if you go in and you just enjoy yourself and and take in that as you both said um some of these amazing images that are in there the great voices that are being used i I mean again having watched the english version i think the cast does a fantastic job across the board with the voices you can enjoy yourself and not have to worry too much about the logistics mm-hmm. of this whole parallel dimension and how it works and what it does. Although the film does reveal some things about that. And I think having watched it a second time, 
it becomes a little easier to navigate and a little easier to kind of understand, okay, this is what's happening here. That's what's happening there. A movie like Kiki's Delivery Service, which does not require a big shovel to go into. It's a Fair very enough. straightforward, childlike story of you know, witches and first loves and that kind of thing. But this is clearly a man at the end of his career asking questions through the art that he is creating. Yeah. And for that, I very, very much admired it. And I think he has for a while. I mean, I think I think Spirited Away, I think Howl's Moving Castle, The Wind Rises. I think some of these later films have definitely had more of that depth than maybe Totoro and, and Kiki's Delivery Service. Although even early on, Nausicaa is kind of a complicated film. Like he he's dealt with complex stories earlier in his career, but I do think there has been this like thematic impulse later in his career to really kind of try to dig into, you know, life and the meaning of everything with these films that he's mm-hmm. making, even though he's really focusing on specific characters and, and whatnot. You, you mentioned the, you know, and, and I kind of laughed, I think, earlier about the sort of abrupt introduction of the aunt who's going to become his mother and there's like it still made me laugh the second time when it just happens and i'm like okay so that's like his aunt but he's like i don't know but but as you said joe i think that probably is more of a cultural uh culturally accepted kind of thing for a widower to do is it you know like okay do they have an unmarried sister well she'll be the next in line to marry this man or Mm -hmm. you know whatever but it is such a just accepted thing that it was a little off for me as an American. Well, I also think it could be, uh, I know in Pakistani culture, aunties are not necessarily blood related, okay, but they can be, you know, still a maternal kind of figure. So maybe it isn't a incesty weird thing. Well, I mean, it's definitely a blood relative because oh, she's, well, remember, she's yeah. connected to the grand uncle that like she's only into that realm because yeah. she's part of the bloodline. Right. Yeah. So anybody who goes, which is an interesting aspect to this, it makes it very sort of family tree. Well, it also makes it bloodline specific to each bloodline potentially having their own multiverses. How do you live? Well, we, this bloodline, lives mm-hmm. this way. Yeah. And I want it to be preserved for, you know, clearly my my ancestors. Mm-hmm. But there's a group, another thing that he does so well is give you snapshots of Japanese culture in all oh, yeah. of his films. Uh, the Alamo Draft House that we went to go, I went to go see it in, you know, did the preview that showed Miyazaki does food. And you see, you know, yeah, all yeah. these little cool little food things, just yeah. little details. It's not important to the plot necessarily, but details of the food that he draws and interprets. Here, he gives... A big chunk of time and homage to the idea of respecting our elders. So the house that our protagonist lands in is also almost like a retirement home for mostly female characters, the grannies, as they are called. Each one of them drawn to a specific different type of face structure (laughs) that you might, you know, be see represented from Japanese culture. Right. One of them follows the little boy into the castle and then becomes a character when he yeah. goes to an alternate universe and it's her younger. Younger. Right. As a swashbuckling pirate figure, yeah. almost, you know. Uh, Who had been a caretaker to the mother when she was a child and you assume uh-huh. sort of entered at the same time somehow. Right. And when um she is housing the little boy. He, She says, don't disrupt the little dolls that I put on the floor where you're sleeping to watch over you. And they're all caricatures of the auntie, of the, of the grannies, grannies from real world. Yeah. He sticks her in his pocket 
And then when he gets back to the real word world, she transforms into the granny <laughs> right. out of his pocket. I mean, little touches like yeah. that were just nonstop and so much fun to watch. Miyazaki builds these worlds with these very elaborate uh, schemes that, that sort of organize things. And, and again, like bringing in that kind of alternate dimension piece of the story makes it so that, you know, everything on the other side is kind of you know, this tweaked version of what it was outside. So you're always playing around to see like, okay, wh- you know, which characters are we seeing here? You know, again, that's why I referenced Wizard of Oz and, and, right. and these others where characters are pulling From these the real things world into. Become, yeah. yeah. There's this time travel element. Like you, we've kind of alluded to the fact that once he's there, he, you know, he being Mahito meets this character, Lady Himi, mm-hmm. who is a young girl who is essentially his mother when she was a young girl, we learn as he's in this parallel dimension that he, that she went missing for, was it a year? Right. They, they said, and, you know, she had wandered into this tower and then just came out and was totally, you know, like, no, why, you know, I haven't been gone that long and like nothing had happened. And yet I think what we have to believe is that in some way she, this parallel dimension kind of exists in a different time uh, uh, schema than ours because he can be in there at the same time he's a child along with his mother when she's a child along with this grand uncle when he's kind of this ageless figure or whatever um it's like they stop aging once they enter in there and they can kind of maintain this position in there i mean that's kind of an interesting element in, in thinking about that but i think it's handled pretty well and and an interesting way that allows him to reconnect with his mother i mean that's really kind of so i went once by myself to to see it and then i ended up going again with my family to see it And coming out of it, I said, you know, it kind of struck me as strange that Lady Hemi, I think it was Lady Hemi, is sort of thanking the uncle as they're, you know, leaving the the realm or whatever it is. And, you know, there's part of me like, well, he just created this whole space and like disrupted everything and, and and put you through all this stuff. And like, you know, I mean, it's not all positive, right? There's some negative... Uh, aspects to this world. I mean, a lot of it's negative, right? These, the, one of the defining characteristics of this alternate dimension that he's created is that the birds are really the most intelligent beings in that world, other than him mm-hmm. or any humans that happen to enter into it from outside. But the, the birds are sort of, uh, you know, warlike, you know, they're, right. they're, they're belligerent. Uh, we have the parakeets that are kind of led by that parakeet king who's sort of, you know, on the warpath to wanting to control the entire dimension. Right. Um, you, you have David the, Bautista. <laughs> yes. You have the, uh, the pelicans. Yeah. Who are sort of aggressive and they, like they have to they push, push through, him through which, that gate. Which is interesting. Purpose. Like there's a wall they can easily clear that could go over, but they have to go through the gate <laughs> specifically. <laughs> but you know, they, there's they who like almost crush him and they And the only reason they don't is because he's carrying this specific feather that the heron has dropped that sort of gives him a little protection and power and whatnot. But you know, this other dimension he's created is, Really like these warlike birds that aren't very well behaved and are, and are just as bad as humans <laughs> in many ways. The second time it was much clearer to me, like, oh, he's, he's created this situation, whether he intended to or not, where this mother is able to reconnect with her son after her death and at a point where maybe he can appreciate more what he's lost, what he had with her. And they have like a, a little moment of connection 
before they have to, you know, disentangle from one another again. And and it that was pretty beautiful. I mean, that that really did, it got me the first time. But I think the second time I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, if he hadn't done this, there would be no way that they would have ever had this moment together again. Then there's the performance of Willem Dafoe as the <laughs> noble pelican. That was amazing. Just giving this beautiful speech about death and how. Please kill, put, put me out of my misery. My wing is broken. Yeah. yeah. And it. And then his mouth fills with blood and he dies and on the spot. The gurgling yeah. there. That that was yeah. I mean, I I guess that's Defoe doing that. That yeah. was pretty impressive. Let's talk about yeah. the heron. The boy and the heron. <laughs> and, I, and you're right, Savannah, they gave that title. It's a little more attractive maybe to an American audience. But the heron is so beautiful when we first see it. When he first gets to his new home, the heron flies through and it's gorgeous and land, perches in the water, I think picks up a fish. And, yeah. One of the grannies says, oh, that's the first time I've ever seen the heron do that. And the heron clearly has a connection with the boy in that it's not leaving him alone. Mm-hmm. It's knocking on his window. And then, the, then you see the heron again, and he's got gums like a human. <laughs> then you see the heron again, and it's got teeth. And then you, and what's basically happening is that the heron is a little man or something inside the heron who's sticking his head as the movie progresses right. out of the heron's mouth, finally wearing the heron like a hoodie yeah. with his head fully out. Yeah. And then when he needs to become the heron again, he swallows <laughs> the man <laughs> yeah. and he's a beautiful heron again. As long as he has the the hole in his beak filled, right? He can't he can't <laughs> right. do it when when, yes. when the when the hole is open, right? Because yeah. the, 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 <laughs> our, our the little boy shoots uh, an arrow through the, yeah. the top of the beak. Mm. Bird poop. You don't see that in Disney movies. Bird poop. Oh, that was funny. Blood, self-harming when he hits himself in the side of the head and all the blood that's coming out. I mean, this is a movie for adults, for children, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Did your youngest, uh, David... She's not bothered by that stuff anymore, I imagine. No, they, yeah, I mean, she's a, she's 11 now. She's She was not troubled by any of it. Although, I mean, obviously, a boy hitting himself with a rock to cut his head is troubling, but not not in a way that she was, you know, upset and, you know, yeah. somehow put off by it. Mm-hmm. But there's bird poop where bird poop should be. And I admire that because <laughs> yes. you don't see that in, this, in a sanitized, you know. Yeah. Hakuna Matata. Also, right. uh, what I took from this movie that was so unlike any other Miyazaki movie it's so funny. This movie's yeah. really funny. The entire theater erupted in laughter at some of the points. I have never seen that in any other. I mean, it's yeah. most of the time Miyazaki movies have these fun little slice of life moments where you're seeing, you know, the, the food being cooked, the sleeping in a pile of brush and mm-hmm. atop, at the top of a train. but Top of a cattle car. Yeah, whatever. But yeah. it's just, I don't know, just this movie was really, really funny and something I didn't get from the trailer oh, obviously not the trailer but just i didn't expect at all was how funny the heron would end up being yeah later on in the film kind of like a comic relief in some points and i want to say it again robert pattinson's name is on here you want to hear robert pattinson's voice the way you hear christian bale's voice that's christian bale oh my gosh the dad <laughs> but <laughs> this is robert Hare. this is robert pattinson playing on it yeah and it, it what a great choice yeah no it, i i think what he did with it was was great i i love the voice for the character and it fit the character really well and i do agree savannah it was a very much ended up being a very comic relief character kind of a more um concerning alarming character initially because you mm-hmm. know that there's some lies going on you know yeah, there's he's a some, liar like but not not really that much of a liar i mean the mom is in the world but there are these things that seem like oh, they yeah. can't be right that and he's clearly kind of seducing him yeah. luring him in there's he lures him in by saying your mother's up right, in there right exactly. i don't know why they told you she's dead when yeah. he finds the mother yeah who's laying on a couch right 
and he puts his hand on her and she begins Melts melting away. like yeah. water. Oh yeah. my God, how beautiful was that? Yeah. It would have lasted a lot longer if you hadn't touched it. Yeah. <laughs> it was all a ruse. Oh. Yeah. So I do agree that there is a lot of humor in the film, once it, especially once it gets going in, yeah. in the alternate dimension. You know, you, you've mentioned some of the great visuals and, and other aspects. I think every time he's kind of transitioning between these spaces, there's like these kind of weird in, interstitial realms yeah. that he enters into that aren't really a place, but kind of, you know, just where he's going he has to go through to get to the next place and there were some like there's one i remember that had like this sort of triangular aspect to it that reminded me of the holy mountain it, it, it made me think of jodorowsky and, oh, and wow. i don't know that miyazaki is directly referencing that but there are pieces of this film that i think are very much that kind of psychedelic tone that, yeah. that comes into it which is which is really cool to see i mean it add, adds to the visuals there if we're going to talk visuals i think we need to discuss the scene where uh mahito goes and pay i have, i'm so confused about this scene but <laughs> I loved the way it looked. I can tell you that when Mahito goes and visits um, Natsuko, Jimmy Chan's character, mm-hmm. the aunt, and there's these papers are pulling them apart from each other. Uh, it looked like it was like a flypaper, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was spinning above her almost dead body. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. in two different direction fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it and just... then they begin to take him over mm-hmm. and her over like a pulling mummy. them apart. Yeah, yeah. pulling yeah. them apart. Like his mother, the fire pulling them apart yeah. from each other, mm-hmm. engulfing him, literally pulling him back, pulling the paper away from his eyes. For me personally, that was, in my opinion, the most beautiful scene in the. It was beautiful, in yeah, the film. and and heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, I was tearing up in the first ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, yeah, it does seem like there's something about the level of control that the grand uncle is trying to exercise that is a, a negative thing, right? This idea that, like, I think maybe it gets into one, maybe getting too tied up in their own sense of how things should be and how their family should progress after their time. You know what I mean? Like this Mm -hmm. idea that patriarchs, I guess, especially maybe have certain like my children will be doctors. They will be lawyer. You know, they will stay here. They will be part of the family business. They will do. And he's kind of imposing on them, right? Because he's essentially trapped Natsuko in this birthing room and doesn't want her to leave. My presumption there is because he needs this bloodline successor to him and he maybe wants that baby to be that if Mojito's not willing to be or, okay. you know, but again, that kind of goes back to the, why are we thanking this guy? He's a controlling jerk, but, <laughs> but, yeah. but he does allow them to have this connection. So, I mean, it's complicated. It's like family is both the thing that maybe, you know, obviously binds them together, but it's also something that's kind of constantly appoint attention it's like these are they're individuals as much as they are part of this collective and they are going to have their own hopes and dreams and desires but how much do those get to be realized or how much are they limited by those who came before them and Mm -hmm. what they set forth so again those kind of ideas i did think though tonally one of the things i love about miyazaki films and i think this is here is he does i think have a kind of patience with his pacing and the mood that very few animated filmmakers do. Like filmmakers. he doesn't 
filmmakers in general, though, I can point to some who are maybe even more <laughs> deliberate than him, but, but yeah. especially in the realm of animation, I right. think it stands out where there's great score here. Don't get me wrong. There is some wonderful, wonderful soundtrack. And I'm sure this album would be a great album to have of the, all the pieces that were uh, composed for the film. But there's long passages where we have none of that score guiding us. There's long passages where we have no character dialogue. And we're just seeing the images yes, and we have yes. like soft sounds of like crunching leaves as somebody's walking through a space. Somebody, And that is something that I love about his films is that he lets the spaces, the settings that he creates through these, you know, drawn images really kind of take on this life of their own and doesn't hit us over the head with score, doesn't hit us over the head with, you know, packing in character dialogue in a way that's going to keep us from appreciating that. And I think that that, I mean, his films, it's almost like they're, you go into a different sort of uh, register when you go in there. Like you're, you, there's moments where you could almost feel like you're meditating. It's just like a beautiful image that you're yeah. taking in. So, it, and I love that that is present here. Another scene just leapt to mind when the father, who is wealthy, seem, seemingly, mm -hmm. uh, brings a shipment of canned meat and bread. Oh, yeah. And the grannies clearly have been living in post-war scarcity. Yeah. And they're like, oh, my God, it's, you know, tuna or whatever it is. Salmon. I'll and, take the bones. And then the son nicks a pack of cigarettes from they have two cigarettes <laughs> right. left in them and the grannies are just abhorred because uh he's given them to the groundskeeper to help right. who he's bribing or paying to help him make an arrow right if you get any more of those cigarettes let me know you yeah. know <laughs> cigarettes cigarettes because you know yeah, tobacco, tobacco was in such short supply that's another theme that, that's that's in hell's moving castle yeah. all of the old people love to smoke yeah. that's a <laughs> well, trope that is the truth there's a one well, especially favorite, for the time period yeah, yeah one of my favorite books ever king rat by james clavell set in a world war ii pow camp cigarettes are currency yeah yeah, yeah. true for a lot of prison movies you know it's already been mentioned that this is a bit of a tearjerker film i mean i think mm -hmm. there there were a couple scenes in particular that got me the one where he does find the book that we mentioned earlier mm -hmm. that kind of that actually gives the japanese title to the film that the how do you live um where he sees that inscription he realizes his mom left it to him right. and it's her handwriting and he's you know we get that scene of him reading through it and crying onto the page yep. i was crying right along with him and, and later when you know it's lady Hemi sort of telling him he's a good boy as they're parting yeah that oh my god i was just totally torn up i'm like oh my god that's what everybody wants to hear from oh, their that, deceased mother oh, is yes. like i just need you, you to know that you're a good yeah, boy and i'm yeah. so proud of you oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, I was yeah wiping yeah. away tears while sitting next to a male friend it happened in both movies that were that we talked about today i'll talk about the second movie in a little while yeah the mara mara we haven't mentioned uh mizaki oh, yeah. miyazaki loves <laughs> his so little creatures, creatures. His and little they critters. become plush toys and that and by the way savannah i looked it up already you will not be getting a uh wara wara for christmas little plush toy because they're not available yet i can't find oh, them online okay. but they're so let's think about it it's these little white bubbles yeah that inflate when they are an adult and go up into the heavens and then the well, pelicans once they've been fed this fish that's like this monstrous fish yeah this <laughs> whale that they catch yeah and then the pelicans come in trying to grab the wara wara <laughs> and the only wara wara that survive are the ones that will become people Right. These are souls. Yeah. Yep. And 
I was like, well, I leave those Wara Wara alone. <laughs> you know, is, yeah. have you ever been to one of the um, baby turtle releases? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, just because they got born oh, right. and just yeah. because they got uh, to an age where they're going to be released by humans to make their little waddle out to the water, there's crabs, there's oh, yeah. larger Bur- fish, birds, birds they weren't coming if, in. You're right, like, oh, yeah. no. You know, but hey, yeah. the circle of life. I mean, I feel like we could go on. Oh, it, yeah. it, it, this is such a wonderful film. I really, I mean, I think the only criticism i could imagine coming out of it from people would be that there's too much that it, that it's it's overwhelming because it really does but again i think the methodical pacing of it i think the way miyazaki handles it if you just go with it you're going to really enjoy it oh, yeah. and you're going to want to watch it again yeah. i mean this is one of those that i think i i consider it a great gift that i was able to see this film when it was released newly in the theater with my family and and it'll be a film that we remember although I'll talk on After Hours about the point of contention I have with them about how they reacted to the films. <laughs> but I loved it. I loved it. It sits, I think, third of the nine yeah. the nine Studio Ghibli movies I've watched. I think it's third. And what's number one and two? Uh, well, she I said think, Howl's yeah, first, number Howell's one, Howl's is right? first, and I think... Uh, Who's the voice of Howl? Christian Bale. Okay. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, Howl's is first, Spirited Away second, The Boy and the Heron okay. third. Yeah. I'm gonna go see it again before I leave theater. Yeah, no, I definitely need. I to think see it'll it be again. around a little while. It's doing well, so that's nice. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, yeah. you know, we don't have access every day, David, to this greenhouse experimental logger series, the 100% spelt logger by Evil Twin. But we have it today. Is we it do. one you wish was in our market so that you could go grab it immediately, or is this a one and done? Joe, you know me. Yes, I'm, I do. I'm a big time logger fan these days, and to me. This is a great one. This is like, I think it's got a nice, a, a more pronounced kind of bitterness than I associate with some lagers. I mean, I honestly, I would, I would characterize it a little more like a pilsner in terms of its hop profile. Mm-hmm. Um, the spelt, I can't say that I'm getting something so distinct that I can tell it apart from, say, a typical, like, you know, Wheat. yeah, or, or, you know, but it doesn't do anything wrong with it. I mean, I, I think this is a great, easy-drinking lager. I'd put it next to any of those wonderful lagers that we'll have mm-hmm. when you get your way on the program, meaning that we do a lager. <laughs> now nah, I'm playing around. Um, well, this is delicious and crisp and clean yeah. and so easy to drink at 5%. And I, I would definitely say if I needed two or three lagers in my refrigerator just to have it, you know, a diverse portfolio, mm-hmm. I'd definitely put this one up there. Yeah. The spelt gimmick, I enjoy. I mean, you know me. Right. I like that when they try something new and th- not new, but something different than we normally see. And this is way up there. Absolutely. Savannah, stop trying to drink, uh, sneak drink. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. That's what you were doing. Okay. Well, when we come back, it's very rare that two Japanese produced films are at the top of the box office at the same time. So we're going to conquer the second one when we return. Dun, 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 dun. That's the Godzilla theme. Anyway, <laughs> oh, I, I, I got it. When we come back. I'm really excited about this. This is exciting. Uh, Like you said, Joe, before we went into the break, it's a rare thing that we have two films produced in Japan um, made for, you know, a global market, but certainly Japanese audiences in mind. And they've made it to uh, the American cineplexes. 
and are really doing some incredible business. So it makes perfect sense to me that we would take on both of these films in a single episode. Of course, the first being The Boy and the Heron, which we talked about in the first segment. And this second one, Joe's already alluded to it with his uh, huge illusion with with his uh, acapella scoring. Yes. Uh, you know, here, <laughs> Godzilla minus zero. But before we get there. Minus one. Minus one. I'm sorry. Before we get there, <laughs> we should we should get some beer in our glasses. It's a big Obviously, day. I haven't had enough. <laughs> it's a big day. It's a big day for beer on Beer in a Movie. Yeah. We, we do this every year and I'm super excited. So we have done variations of the Bourbon County brand stout, which is done by Goose Island, which is also now owned by AB InBev. We realize we're drinking uh, glorified Budweiser here, folks. But nonetheless, this is something that gets released <laughs> Every year, right Mm -hmm. around uh, Black Friday, right around the holidays, and it's always fun to get some. They have their sort of standard, which is a an imperial stout that is aged in bourbon barrels. But then they usually do some of these variations, and and we've captured a few of them over the years. This is one they released for 2023 that is called their Backyard Stout. They describe it as a stout aged in bourbon barrels with mulberries boysenberries, and marionberries. Lovely. So three different types of berries here, Joe. It's our sixth Bourbon County Stout. Wow. On the show. The first one, uh, Carlos put Butterfinger into. (laughs) I remember that. That's right. I think, yeah, he he created our own variation there. Did you say the ABV? I didn't. What is the ABV on this one? I should have looked that up because they vary a bit. And I don't know if they have it on the bottle. It just says enjoy in a snifter develops in the bottle up to five years 12.9 there you go very nice all right well we have some in our glasses dark rich definitely getting the the heavy boozy Uh chocolatey notes are you getting any of the berries not yet not on the nose okay but it's 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 pretty tough to fight through that with thick and oily and i cannot wait all right well we're going to be sipping on this joe Tell us a little bit about where we are in the Godzilla saga. A couple of months ago, a buddy of mine said, I want to go see Godzilla minus one movie, boy. And, you know, we've done Godzilla now three times on the show. In episode 42 is our first visit with Godzilla King of the Monsters. Right. Uh, We paired that with Pacific Rim. And then in 137, Godzilla vs. Kong came out. We went to go see that, but we paired it with the 1954 original Toro Godzilla. Godzilla minus one references that this predates that movie. Right. Where to my knowledge, the how many did we see on the pre-show that they've done? 30, 40? I think, yeah, it's 37 or 38. There you go. Godzilla movies are all after the original Godzilla. Yeah. I went to go see this again with Savannah last night, and we went to the early to watch the pre-show. I think that might have been your first, like, big, heavy dose of all the Godzilla from over time. And Savannah goes, am I going to like this? (laughs) Because it was uh, those rubber monster, you know, and the puppets and all of that. The reason I asked was because... I saw Godzilla, whatever the one that came out in 2018, 2019. King of the Monsters. I hated it. Really? I hated it. At the time, I was a Stranger Things super fan, and I heard Millie Bobby Brown was in it, and I was like, oh my god, oh, like okay. I need to go yeah. see her movie. Of course. <laughs> and then I was like, this is, like, I have a hard time relating or caring about the movies that are, like, plot 
our big monster car crash <laughs> yeah. craziness, sure, sure. guns, cars. And I, I imagine we'll talk about the difference between this Japanese film and the couple that have come out recent. Another one is on the way that are the um, American right, these legendary productions. Yeah, but if this takes place prior to the first Godzilla, which we discussed back in episode one thirty-seven, as being a very artistic Japanese representation of fear of atomic energy, as we all can imagine that their collective conscious went through predates that so it's 1945 the end of world war ii and kamikaze pilot koichi shikishima pretends that his plane is messed up because he chickens out on doing a kamikaze run there at the end of the war takes his plane to an island that is known for that is set up to do repairs there you go and where he meets tachibana who is the lead mechanic there and while he implies that Shikishima, Shikishima, that's what I said, <laughs> did flee from duty, maybe here at the end of the war, it doesn't even make sense to kill yourself for a cause that we're not going to be able to right. win. Mm-hmm. But that night, with ugly, weird fish floating on the surface, Godzilla emerges from the ocean and kills everybody except for the two guys that I just mentioned. But a more modest scale Godzilla than we've seen before. That is true. Yeah. That is true. I mean, still large and imposing to humans, uh-huh. but not building-crushing Godzilla. In fact, the mechanic tells the lead, go get into your plane, and when you can, shoot Godzilla uh, with your 20-millimeter gun, gun or whatever right. he's got there. Okay, so he goes home where his village has been decimated by the war. He meets a vagrant young lady who is also caring for an orphaned infant, takes her in, and, you know, he's dealing constantly with the guilt of not living up to his duty and the death of his parents that went away. Uh, they have a, a maid figure, a sister figure that is, you know, basically saying, you know, the city burned down because you didn't do right. what you were supposed to do. Your parents died because you did. So this is. I took her to be a neighbor, but because okay. she had children of her own that she said she had lost yeah, in yeah. the raid. So that, but yeah. So he gets a job cleaning up the mines that are in the water from American and Japanese forces, and um, we meet the crew of the boat, which become integral for the entire story. And then here's Godzilla again. And it's it's told that one of the things they were supposed to do, besides clearing out mines, was the Japanese military knew that Godzilla was coming and they're supposed to stall. And then you get one of the most one of several amazing set pieces of Godzilla trying to attack these two mine sweeping boats. Mm. Well, it turns out that the scientist on on board the boat with our our friend is actually, you know, an ex-military technical advisor who has come up with a scheme to kill Godzilla before he reaches Tokyo. Um, he is clearly in love with the vagrant, the girl. Now it's years later. She's got a job in the in a larger city. Godzilla attacks that city. We believe that she is dead. And now he's going to kamikaze his way into glory uh, by flying into the mouth of Godzilla while there's this other scheme uh, that's going on right. with Freon and inflatables. and Where, where they can cause Godzilla to, to descend quickly to the bottom of this trench. And if you don't know anything about scuba diving, that'll kill you. Essentially giving him the bends. I mean, right. they're hoping that by rapidly forcing him to go to the bottom of the trench and then even maybe if that doesn't work forcing him back up quickly that those kind of changes in pressure are going to destroy this monster if that doesn't work i'll fly into that guy's mouth well, with a go. bomb in the plane right and then you well, that's all i'm gonna say for now <laughs> uh pretty good setup you've you've described the okay well so uh, savannah i'm going straight to you am i going to like this movie did you like the movie? I did. 
I surprisingly very much so did. I, I actually loved it. I loved it. <laughs> I was pleasantly, extremely surprised. Not surprised. I had heard things before from reputable sources that I trust mm-hmm. that it was worthwhile and that it was a really good movie with Godzilla in it. And <laughs> and <laughs> I agree with one. that. I agree with that. See, I think I probably told you that because that's what I have been telling people. These American Godzillas are crappy movies centered around Godzilla. This is a good movie. Well, that's it. That happens to have Godzilla in it. Yeah, I mean, and I I've enjoyed the American ones enough. I mean, th- though it feels like it's been diminishing returns. I'd have to listen back to my reviews on those episodes to see if I if I'm squaring up with myself from from the time. But I think the focus there is the monsters, right? They're creating sure. this. They're trying to create this monster verse, right? With King Kong and Godzilla and you the know, other what, the other monsters and King of the Monsters, right? Mecha Godzilla yeah. and these are, which is fine, and that's what kaiju films have been mm-hmm. for a long time, right? I mean, the the one that you saw clips from in the Alamo pre-show were certainly one like Godzilla versus Mothra and Godzilla, you know, bringing these other huge son of Godzilla. Oh boy. <laughs> For a lot of kaiju fans, that's what they want is is that. And, yeah. and I have some of that in me. I saw a lot of those films growing up. They were being shown on cable uh, television channels on the weekends and I and I would enjoy seeing those rubber suit monsters oh, yeah. banging around. And But here I think interestingly and I and I will absolutely admit I have not seen all 36 of the preceding Godzilla films. Yeah. And, and even the ones that I have seen, I've seen in bits and pieces because it hasn't been so much about fidelity to story or anything as much as, oh, a Godzilla movie's on? I'll leave that on. Oh, it's fun to see him rip this thing apart. It's fun to see him battle with, uh, you know, Ghidorah or whatever, you know. All of these things that I've expected in Godzilla films, yeah, they're here, right? You've talked about. There are those action set pieces. We open the film with one where he attacks the island, although it is interesting. It is that smaller scale Godzilla, which will stand out to people who are Godzilla fans because you're going to see this kind of proto-Godzilla. You know, Godzilla when he was unaffected by radiation. And then you do get a quick scene later in the film where we see the bomb test that supposedly, you know, gives him that atomic boost. Right. Right. And then he comes back and, and like you said, Joe, the, the set piece where it's, uh, the, the mine, uh, dismantling boat that's trying which, to which help. Which is just fascinating how it's made. Cause yeah. I'm assuming there's some historical accuracy in this. To them using a wooden boat to, yeah. And the methods that they, you know, right. cut the mines and they bob yeah. to the surface and they shoot them with a gun until they explode. And then right. that's one less mine that we have to worry about in the future. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, we see him come back there and we cert- we see him go through the city, as you talked about before, when he, you know, he, he's really doing the typical Godzilla thing and, and, you know, crushing buildings and, you know, blowing things up and all that with his atomic breath and and the final kind of showdown so you have those big action yeah. set pieces that are there for for those fans but what you have also is this incredibly moving human drama acted post-war in- japan incredibly well yeah. i mean the cast here is outstanding that was the thing that really you went to see this and i i didn't necessarily have it as a I must see this film. Right. But I remember you saying that you were going to go see this special, you know, whatever previous early release fan thing. Um, and like, as you came out of it, you texted and were like, people need to see this film. Yeah. It's, you know, like the, the, I was in tears or, you know, I was like, okay, he's telling me he was in tears at a Godzilla movie. All right. Like th- there's got to be something. And, you know, lo and behold, you were right. This is a really moving human drama, right? We have Shikishima, the sort of disgraced kamikaze pilot, 
is an incredibly well-made character. I mean, he, he, he feels very real to me, totally relatable. And that like, you know, I think anybody from the outside, obviously in that cultural moment, kamikaze pilot, it was a thing that people accepted supposedly. But to me, that's something that feels very wrong, right? We were talking about this with Napoleon a few weeks ago. Like whenever I see these big war films and I'm seeing like, people going into the field of battle as cannon fodder it always just blows my mind like how can people it's sad that we use each other this way we can actually do this where yeah. we convince ourselves it's okay to and japan at that point had gone so far as to say like look we'll just throw the, these people are essentially bombs for us we can throw these people at each other and he's expected to do that so him balking at it is totally relatable to me right i'm sucked into the character right away and from that point on I also feel him not having lived up to his duty and feeling like a failure. I see him getting berated by the neighbor who right. tells him that her children have died because of him and his failure to do what he was supposed to do. I see him in this relationship he strikes up with the vagrant woman um, while they're caring for this child and how he feels both in love with her but unable to allow right. himself to feel that. Like yeah. he, he won't because he feels so guilty and he feels like – his, you know, as it's said in many times in the film, his war is still going, right? He's mm -hmm. still in his war. He has not resolved this internal conflict that he has. And so he can't allow himself to experience joy. He can't allow himself to really commit to this relationship that to everybody outside of it seems like an, a foregone conclusion. What? You're not, you're not going to marry her. You're not going to do this, right? His, his friends on the mine boat, um, are, are not, but are incredulous. They, they about become it. a little, angry about it well that's it like, right come on man yeah. make the right decision here. but it feels motivated and it oh, feels totally right. and, and he plays it perfectly well i mean i i mean i hate butchering people's names but i know savannah had looked up this actor right uh kamiki ryunosuke okay tying back to miyazaki he in the japanese version played uh markle the young wizard in howl's moving castle oh wow yeah and he was also a voice in spirited away i think he was one of the uh, bathhouse huh people yeah so he How is cool. a huge he's a huge that's huge, why we huge. connected these two films yeah yeah <laughs> totally totally it was all about kamiki we, yeah. we were doing totally this this planned. is the kamiki episode yeah <laughs> no but i i think it's really cool that he was in a few movies that i already i really love like yeah. for instance your name it's a really good anime movie not studio ghibli i think it's the same studio that made this one toho studios are they doing some anime as well yeah they do i think oh, okay. it's like a just like that's Universal one of their big studios kind of over there. See, like I, I, I feel very uneducated about both Miyazaki. I've seen this, the highlights, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. my God, you go into YouTube and you start looking. I mean, there are people that have gone deep, 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 oh, deep yeah. down the rabbit hole. And the same with Godzilla. Sure. Yeah. Uh, my buddy that I went to, who is a huge Godzilla fan, go see Shin Godzilla next, you know, uh, says this. Which is, was the one that kicked off. The current era, right? Correct. They, yeah. In, in the Toho Godzilla films, they like to speak about specific eras, right? And the era that we're in right now is the one that was kicked right, off. Right, where by the shit. computer animation makes Godzilla because the the monster here is great. Yeah, I, it was seamless and wonderful. Uh, the naval action is exciting. Yeah. The uh, set design of J J Japan in ruins and you know rehabilitating itself, and then through the years, because this movie goes over at least two or three years. Yeah. Uh, uh, as he begins to make money, his hovel becomes more they uh, attractive. A, they, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. they rebuild. Okay, so we think that the 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 vagrant girl now, you know, his yeah. fake wife, whatever, how whatever you want to put it, is dead, and uh -huh. that was 
jarring. Rivet. I mean, like, it, yeah, yeah, jarring is a better word. It was. Oh no! Yeah, they, no. you know, like he can. This guy cannot cut a break, and the only reason why he's there, and I guess the reason why she died, is she pushes him into the alleyway when Godzilla's right. atomic breath is blowing through and taking everything down, was to save him when he was there to save her. Man, this guy cannot catch a break. Guilt, yeah. layers of guilt upon layers of guilt upon layers of guilt. Yeah. So the idea that he's going to fix it all for himself with this kamikaze action. While all of his friends are like, dude, the war is over, that you have survived the war yeah. means you are here to live, cannot get over it. Right. Okay, major spoilers. She's not dead. <laughs> and when he puts a big packet of money next Nor to his <laughs> in, infinite, uh, his it, infant daughter, yeah. not, not daughter, and then a note to the neighbor, daughter. will you please yeah. um, use this money to, to provide for her? Yeah. Then a telegram comes. But we don't know what's in the telegram, right. but we do. Right. <laughs> and when uh, I saw it originally, with I, I elbowed my buddy that I went to the first one. That chick's alive. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, when, <laughs> when the mechanic and him come to peace with all of it. Yeah. Because the mechanic blames our lead for killing everybody on the island. And that's done beautifully, too, because w we see the mechanic as sort of when he initially at the beginning of the film goes to the island. He's the guy who's not done his duty as a kamikaze pilot. He's sort of being excoriated by that guy. Yeah. And, you know, after, you know, it, it's like he has a penance to pay to, to this guy and he brings him in to be the mechanic on the plane that he's going to fly into Godzilla. And we're thinking there's still this tension between them. And, you know, OK, fine, you're going to kill tender, yourself. Though. You're going to kill yourself. Fine. I'll, I'll help, help you do you, this. Because you deserve to we die. We don't see until later that he also tells him, by the way, I've installed an ejector seat. This is a I, German plane, I want, not a Japanese right, plane. I want you to eject and live. Yeah, and, live. Yeah. Yeah. So he does. Yeah. And then when he lands, the neighbor starts like slapping him. She's so mad at him. <laughs> you were going to kill yourself. You were going to leave your the, your daughter essentially yeah. behind. Look at this telegram. Runs up the steps with daughter in hand and just weeps because she is alive. Right. And I'm weeping yeah, at I, a Godzilla movie. <laughs> what? And I was too. And as much as that could almost like then there was going to be that cold splash of water like Okay, but how, how like, just sort of uh, tritely sentimental is this? Everybody lives, everybody's together. It's a, da, da. But then it brings you back to yep. uh -oh. Godzilla's reforming. They haven't yep. fixed anything. Nope. Godzilla yep. is still a threat. And they're yep. going to. So I, I, lo I love Which that. Which I guess it's like, leads us into the 54 original, I yeah, guess. Is in that, a way, although I, I, I haven't rewatched it since, but I'm I going have to. A nitpick. Please. I hate the trope in film. And it's a nitpick. But uh -huh. this the scene where is it in Ginza where it's uh, Shikishima and the girl I forget her name and the the wave of Godzilla's heat breath is uh -huh. coming and she she pushes him into, into the alley, alley. Yeah. when in reality any logical human would just tackle him down and save each other. Go into it the alley. It feels as though right. the writers might have written themselves into a corner. Well, they they needed to find a way to get her in peril. No, and no, him I think I, I think that they yeah exactly. Yeah, I think yeah. they needed to find a way to yeah. get her sure. temporarily dead. Dead. Yeah, but it, so but it's also just like okay, I think and you could have done that in a lot of different ways, but this particular way, I get what you're saying. There was mm -hmm. that part of me that's like. She didn't need to put. No, she could have literally like 
you know, bulldozed him into the alley and been in there with him. You know what I mean? Like, she didn't need to push him away and keep herself out. I I had to laugh. Oh, without knowing. See, he had seen Godzilla's breath and she had not. So maybe she didn't know exactly what was coming. But this creates even deeper guilt for him, right? That that she somehow saved him. A trope to get there, but stakes that we like. But I hear what you're saying, Savannah. That's a good point. Joe, you saying, where does this go? It'll be interesting to see, I think, if only because Takashi Yamazaki, who is the director and writer here, who has had a successful career. I've seen none of his films. I feel totally incompetent. What it get, I need to watch some of this guy's other films. I know he's had great success. I looked it up too. Yeah. I've not seen one um, of them. A big, a big uh, Japanese list of filmmaker. films he's made. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's had great success as a filmmaker. He wants to do another one. He said publicly, like when With this same was released, cast, I don't know. That's yeah. interesting. I don't know if he would try to extend this particular story, if he would jump ahead in time, what, what he would do exactly. But, um, like you say, Joe, I mean, w- what we know for sure <laughs> is that there's going to be more Godzilla. How that Godzilla unfolds. From Toho. From Toho, I'm right. excited about that. Not more Brian Cranston stuff. Yeah, no, please. Well, yeah. we're probably going to get that, too. I think still, you're right. Yeah. Uh, I'm more excited for this than I am that. So they enlist the civilians because there is, now is no Japanese military, I guess, at that moment. Probably, I, again, I, I should know more about mm. history. But, I, you know, b- because due to the surrender, you know, to, right. to the Well, allies. they're limited. They can't have weaponry. Yeah, right. right. So they've got decommissioned boats to go, yeah. you know, put a belt around Godzilla with Freon and stuff. And That was it, so cool. It, <laughs> it was fun. It, the way it was executed was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was locked. The boy in. that gets left behind because he's, you know, the the guy's trying to yeah. help him out because he's injured or whatever. But then he shows up with the tugboats. All yeah. of it. All of it. All of it. Yeah. Um, the twist where it's the doctor behind the plan. Oh yeah. And they're all like, yeah. we but, didn't but know. The, the night before they go, all the civilians to do the thing, and the night before the kamikaze into Godzilla's mouth and all that, the the, the buddies are eating dinner. They believe that the girl is dead and they're a little drunk, maybe. And he goes, uh, you should have married her while you could. You yeah. don't think I wanted to. I, yeah. I know that she wanted to marry you. You don't think I wanted that, too. But my war is not over. Yeah. And then that last line is your war finally over. The girl says to him. Yeah. And he, just, he nods. He's no no words because he's in tears that, yeah. that his love is alive. Yeah. And I also like that this vagrant that he takes in is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a movie trope, too. Yeah. But I didn't mind yeah, that yeah. one at all. I get it, I get it. Right. No, there, there's some of that, but yeah. The same could be said about the Shigeshima. Did you t- sure. find him a handsome gent? Oh yes. Okay. Yeah, you seem like an attractive. But I feel like that's like that. That's not every girl. Like I don't think <laughs> every girl. <laughs> okay. Well, regardless, I, um, I, I'll, I'll also just because I really liked his performance, I'll just spotlight the the uh, naval weapons engineer, the guy who comes up with the scheme. Yeah. I thought he was great. I've he seen was, him in was, something. I, I yeah, did not look up his filmography. He, he, he felt familiar to me, um, but you know the the character is uh, Kenji Noda, and the, and the actor is Hidetaka Yoshioka, and I really really enjoyed uh, his performance uh, throughout there. So just a great cast. I mean, I really do. Like, I came out of this yeah, film feeling this like. I've never seen a cast like this. A great movie. In a Godzilla movie. That happened to have Godzilla in it. This is, I think, of all the Godzilla films I've seen all the way through and really paid attention to, this is the top one. Uh, that without This hesitation. is in the top ten films of the year oh, yeah. for me. Sure. And we've seen a lot of amazing films in yeah. 2023. Yeah. I hope that we talk about the Golden Globe nominations that came out today in After Hours. But they've got this new category, Cinematic and Box Office Achievement. They're trying to put a Band-Aid over the notion that... You know, the Oscars and the Golden Globes tend to reward films that a lot of people haven't seen. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to make, but looking at the best motion picture non English language and that category, 
maybe it was too early for Godzilla's box office success to make them uh, here, but it's on neither. And the Oscars? No, I'm, well, no, the, the Golden Globes. Been, the Oscars yeah. haven't been done yet, but hopefully Godzilla would get on there. It is that. It's so good. Good. It's yeah. so good. All right. Well, we've had five. Yeah. Bourbon County Stouts prior to today. <laughs> Some of them, I remember that Earl Grey one mm. made my list of the top three beers of the year, the year that we did. I can't remember yeah. the year now. Yeah. This Backyard Stout filled with berries, David. You mentioned off of the label here, mulberries, boysenberries, and marionberries. I like that. Yeah. It's not strawberries or blueberries. <laughs> the ones that we see over and over. These right. are some, you know. Some alternative some berries. Rare berries. Rare yeah, berries. Yeah. What did what did you think? Berries, cherries. Sometimes you can get like a cough syrup flavor. I know, when and, you... and I don't tend to have the biggest problem with that. I know other people do, so th- that may be something of concern here. To me, I generally like, like I've had some of these. I think there was a, a variation on the, um, on the Bourbon County that did have that more common blueberry added to it uh, not that long ago that I really enjoyed. And this one I'm enjoying as well. I mean, I think we didn't get in on the nose so much because it's just so chocolatey and boozy and roasted yeah. in in the nose. It's hard to like suss out a, a berry uh, aroma, but in the flavor I'm getting it and it really helps to kind of round it out. I mean, it's, I like it. I think it definitely has a fruit character that I think plays well. It's like, you know, those kind of chocolate covered, uh, you know, cherries, sure. chocolate covered. Get at Christmas time. I, I think that mm-hmm. it has that kind of quality to it. I think it's a perfect kind of dessert beer to pair with a film of such uh, depth and quality as Godzilla minus one. Perfect pairing. I, I'm, I'm very happy with this. Godzilla, uh, king of the monsters, the bourbon stout. Uh, Bourbon County Brand Stout are some of the biggest, best. We're going to close our eyes to the idea that Goose Island is a a macro brewery when we have these. Mm -hmm. That cherry thing's happening for me a little bit. It is. A a little bit in this. But, you know, it's also a two sipper, three sipper, meaning Mm -hmm. it takes two or three, especially after that spelt lager, to get into the mood of what we're doing here. Yeah. As it goes, as it warms up in my glass, as that ABV begins to do what it do, mm-hmm. kind of like <laughs> us with our um, algorithms. Yeah. I'm enjoying it very, very much. Yeah. If you're a cherry makes my beer taste like cough syrup person, I imagine you might have a little bit of that with this. This might not be your variant. This might yeah. not be the variant. They made six. They yeah. tip, They didn't. They do six to eight every year. They did six this year. If I find another one, I'm probably going to yeah. pick it up so we can maybe do it uh, as the new year rolls around. Well, I did get my hands on a Bananas Foster one. Why don't you keep so. that? Because this is a big dollar item. These are $25 oh, a piece over at the grocery store that well, happens to have a couple. No no better occasion to open one of these than for a beer and a movie episode. Or a new so. Godzilla film. <laughs> I didn't know I'd be saying that at the beginning of the year. We'll have lots to discuss. It's the end of the year, folks. We're going to have lots of great movies. I mean, we, we've been having some great movies lately. But yeah. even more so, I mean, we're, we're looking at poor things coming along. Mm-hmm. We're, we're looking at Wonka. Mm-hmm. We're looking at Color Purple. All these films just, that... I, I printed out the nominations for the Golden Globes, and mm-hmm. I've got like 10 movies highlighted that I haven't yep. seen yet that yep. I need to see before I can say what 2023 is all about, it looks it's, like. That's right. It's it's a busy time of year here. On Savannah, you're going to stick around for After Hours, I hope? Yeah. Wonderful. All right. I want, I want you to tell the story of how you got into Ghibli Studio. 
Because I think <laughs> I think it I totally have. makes sense. Oh, it's that tone again. <laughs> it's a good one. Well, that's the great thing about beer in a movie, Joe, is that uh, huh? the conversation doesn't end here, oh. right? It's going to continue on all different social media platforms. You can find us there on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can even find us on our own website, beerandamoviepodcast.com. You can find some nice curated lists of our episodes there, as well as a link to our Tee Public store where you can find some merch. Stocking stuffers, folks. Go go ahead and, and, and grab yourself up something. Um, you can even join our chat on Discord under the name Beer and a Movie. The conversation continues. Just ask us for an invite uh, if you'd like to jump in. We've also mentioned that we are going to extend this conversation ourselves in our Patreon subscriber-only After Hours bonus episode. So please sign up at patreon.com slash beer and a movie podcast to get access to that. And we know you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, but before you leave, won't you please rate us and leave a review? We hope you'll make it five stars so that the algorithm can do what it do and put us out there as an option for more listeners. You've just experienced another Japanophilic episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. This was my world. It was beautiful and messy and tragic and silly. It cannot last. Now go make your own. Thank you.